0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Behind the L Line. I'm Randall Sanders. Happy to be with you once again. And happy, as always, to be joined by Jeremy Spector and Ronan O'Shea. Jeremy, how are you doing this Sunday evening?
1: Uh, I'm doing all right. A uh, little run down. I don't know if you can hear my voice, but uh, feeling on the up. So doing all right.
0: Uh, glad we'll be able to activate you off the uh, the illness yeah. IL uh, in the next couple of days here. Ronan, how are you tonight?
2: I'm OK. I'm OK. But I think Jeremy needs to own it. He, he had a
1: bad incident here this week, I and did, I think that I you just got to take incident. down the chin here. You got to take the L. I take the L, totally. I had had I had I had a big L on Tuesday, I can tell you that much. Uh, not, not the best in health on a Tuesday, but perhaps some food poisoning, who knows what. Then the voice got all sore, and uh, so I couldn't really talk for a little bit, which is why we're coming to you a little bit later. But uh, it's, it's regaining in strength, and I can talk a little bit more now. Still made yeah. out to Wrigley, though. The bell did not ring right for you. Is that fair the to bell, say? The bell, did I, it, it was not a good trip south of the border. So, tried, so it was a Taco Bell that, uh, that didn't Moss. sit right.
0: Yeah. You tried to live yes. Moss,
2: and it went poorly. You, you yes. got your own Baja Blast and not the uh, delicious one.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> recording a pair of new glasses this
2: evening. Uh, I am. Randall is so observant. Yeah. Huh, Randall, wow. That's incredible. I haven't even take a good look at that yet. Yeah. I, uh, Wow. Brand new. I uh, picked them up on Friday. I've got some new... got like a Sogard thing going on. It's a little bit of a Sogard thing. They're Except taller than my last so. glasses. Ex- I'm almost vaccinated. Tomorrow's number two
0: for me. You're still more morning, vaccinated than he is.
2: I am more vaccinated, although I thought I heard Sogard did get it. I, I know his wife has been riling people up online. I got number two tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. So I'm a little bit worried, Jeremy, this week that you had your not live in moss last week i'm a little bit worried the next couple days for me may be rough you know just look i'm doing everything right i'm trying to stay hydrated i'm trying to you know get a good night's sleep tonight
1: did but you have any I've issues the first things. time
2: the only the only thing with the first one was i would say arm pain for about 48 hours after the shot like it didn't hurt the day of no issues the day of next couple of days my arm was legitimately hurting like i couldn't raise it i definitely cannot raise it up above the shoulder and yeah, now for number, needle in there, I, I took a little jab, you know, a little jab yeah. job. And now this time it's like, well, I've seen people have gotten temperatures. I've seen people being really tired the next day. I've got a really big day on Tuesday work-wise. So I, I don't know how I'm going to be feeling Tuesday or Wednesday, but I'm going to get through it. And then I'm going to be vaccinated oh, and yeah, I'm baby. just so ready for it. I'm I'm just ready to get back out there. And I've been doing, I've been to now three Rockies games this year for, if you count the doubleheader. Um, so I'm kind of getting back out into public, but I've been really nervous and cautious. And I think this is going to be a catalyst to like, let's go, let's fucking do this now. You know, I'm ready to just get back out there.
1: That's basically how I've been. I, when I got fully vaccinated, I've been kind of just going out and do, I, you know, taking the L going to Wrigley, living kind of a normal life within the guidelines of everything, but for sure, you know, living kind of a normal, uh, I had no issues. I don't know about Randall. But I, I, I don't know if I was just what, but when I got my second, I, I had a little bit of pain. I didn't feel like it was as much pain as the first one. And in the arm, I mean, arm pain, and the rest, I, I was fine.
0: Ronan, I can tell you from my experience that uh, the day after was a little bit rough, uh, and I was lucky enough to be able to spend a Sunday and not have to worry about it. If you've got a big work day two days from now, my experience is that you'll probably be okay yeah, uh, the best of luck to you tomorrow. And equally importantly, I believe you have a birthday coming up on, on Tuesday, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So the, yep. as you said, uh, an addition or two ago, that's a great birthday present for you. And you is. Said this is a, a great, a great catalyst for kind of getting back out there. It is a nice last line of defense. It's your, probably your best line of defense. Uh, and, you know, to know that if you're you're masking doesn't, doesn't uh, stop it. And if you're hand-washing and keeping your hands clean, doesn't stop it, that you have your immune system there to back you up. And it's a, it's a good peace of mind once you can kind of get past some of the, uh, the habits and the trauma of the, last, yep. of the last year. And before we jump into the Cubs and the rest of baseball this evening, a shout out to our good friend, Ryan McVane. He and his lovely wife, Mary Alice, welcomed uh, their third son, their third child into the world. Uh, this past week. So congratulations to Ryan and Mary Alice on the new addition on the new roster move. And uh, we hope to get to meet the new addition sooner versus later. Big call
1: up.
2: Yeah. Roster expansion call up. I think both of that applies here, Uh, but amazing. Ryan, uh, just so happy for you and your family. Uh, Just, I don't know. It's humbling too, though. I don't know how you guys feel. It's like, this is our buddy. We've known this guy. We've been going to baseball games with him since high school. He's rolling three kids now. Damn, just good for Ryan. Good for Ryan and Mary Alice. But it, it's just one of those things where I, I kind of took a step back here in the last couple of days and went, wow, he's really got things going on. He's got his stuff together. Uh, it's inspirational, to be honest with you, just just seeing how he's carried himself and thinking, OK, you know, good, good, good to see that he's making things happen.
0: You know, like, like yeah, through- uh, Jeff Goldblum said life uh, finds a way. So let's jump into the Cubs. It's been uh, about a week and change since we last convened and uh, a couple of things have improved for the Cubs, uh, a couple of things, not so much. Three series have gone by since we last spoke, the Braves, the Mets and the Brewers. The offense has woken up a little bit, which is good to see, because I know that when we last talked, uh, the offense was rather comedically last or near last in all categories. And I'm delighted to report that they have improved a little bit since then. What have you guys seen in the game since? That are maybe some encouraging signs to take going forward.
1: Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, the last you know week or so, the offense has, for the most part, uh, broken out. You had a big uh, against Atlanta, thirteen runs, and you had a big sixteen run game or 15, 16 run game, which was the game I was at uh, against New York, and then fifteen against Milwaukee. And it, it, obviously, the big deal is making contact. You know, in that game against New York, uh, there wasn't really a lot of you know hard hit balls. In that game, it was just making a lot of contact, putting pressure on the Mets. Mets made some defensive plays. You got some breaks, a a couple balls off the pitcher, you know. And so, just making contact has been a huge part of it. Um, That's you know, it's as you know, you're trying to say early in the season, like it's a long season, it's a marathon, it's six months. Where it's not two weeks in April. It's not the end all be all of a season. So you know, we're at a point now where. For 20 games in kind of, you're like, you're 10, 11. You're probably not in the exact spot you want to be. But luckily, as you are, the division is not great. So you're not terrible. And then we'll see where we are, like, coming through. Like, you're going to have your chance. I, I feel pretty confident in the offense. I don't, I, I in terms of, I don't think it's going to be, like, an elite top five offense. But I think it's going to be an offense where you're going to get, you're going to have your breakouts. I mean, you're going to have some games like today against Brandon Woodruff, a good pitcher we are not going to score runs, and it's going to be an issue. That's going to happen. But I I think about – so I'm not – this past week I think has kind of given me a little bit more hope and optimism, just seeing that you can do it, seeing you can break out. The one guy kind of disappointing to me right now is Jock Peterson because he's on the DL, and he's not really – everybody else has kind of contributed to it. Everybody's kind of like – you've seen them contribute to this offense explosion no matter who they are on the roster. So it would be nice to get Jock going a little bit.
2: Absolutely, and Ian Hap for that matter. It's another guy True. who he's been hitting the ball. It's just not finding any grass and we're not used right. to that. And he's I've a just guy
1: who's more confident in Ian's like actual hitting.
2: For sure, for sure. And Jock's been so frustrating too because he had that awesome spring where you're thinking, Wow, this guy's ready to go. He's gonna finally get to play every day and it just hasn't worked out. Now he's injured and it's been a slow start. You know, no question for him. I think when I look back on on since last time, it's just been a mixed bag. And and that's frustrating because it's just been the way it's been this year. Right. It's awesome to sweep a good team like the Mets. It's always good to beat the Mets. Thinking about Ronnie a little bit when uh, they were celebrating that final win, just how happy he would be even now to sweep a team like the New York Mets. Um but you know, then you come back, you lose another series against the Brewers. They've seen the Brewers three times now, and they haven't they haven't won a series against them. That's a concern here. That the Milwaukee is the better team right now in the division. And looking at Milwaukee up close over the last month, that team has holes. They've got serious offensive problems. They um, have good starting pitching, they've got some really good arms in the bullpen. I think that they're a dangerous team, but they're not an an unflawed team. And the Cubs couldn't really do anything with that. That's frustrating. So they are kind of where I worried they would be right now, sitting around 500. Some things are going well. You know, Jake Arrieta, another strong performance today when the game could have gotten away from him the first inning. Bases loaded, nobody out. He lets one run in, ends up giving him a quality start. So I think that It's just kind of, this is how it's going to be right now. This team has some holes. They need some help. I don't know where it's going to come from. But one thing that has been fun to see, Nico Horner in the last week, he's slapping the ball all over the field and then made a really cool play today to turn a double play against the Brewers, letting a pop fly on the infield drop. Just a heads up baseball. It's nice to see Nico and um, sort of a young player who you think is going to be in the mix for the next couple of years contributing right now. And I think that's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. I want to go back with you on the Brewers. One other disappointing part about losing the three series with the Brewers, uh, you're talking about their offensive struggles, but a big reason of why, I mean, not that they're a great offensive team, one fully healthy, but this is a situation out. Yelich has been out. Lorenzo Kane's been out. They've had some injuries. I mean, Wong came back for this series and he was great series, but it was a chance to kind of take advantage of a team that was missing some guys and they couldn't really do that today, as I said. Woodruff, that's going to be a game. That's a difficult game. At this point the disappointing game to me was yesterday's game. You had a two nothing lead. You have you're kind of in it. Uh, Peralta's been tough on the Cubs, and he's been pretty good. But they were able to kind of get him out of the game around the fifth inning, and they couldn't really do much. And then Adbert, did, I thought he needed to attack Corey Raymore. more. Major league debut, and the guy's coming in, and you're kind of nibbling, trying to get him out, and you got to attack him. And then a you know rex brothers comes in and I, I i'm i'm kind of a rex brothers fan but you know he's missing in the plate a little bit and close and uh, the narvaez uh narvaez at bat was really good at bat by narvaez i don't know how he did the swing a couple of those pitches but and then and then whatever and chafin you know hit the clutch and gonna do it but to me like i said i'm a little bit more optimistic than you are um and just in general but like the fact that you know, you have your four game win streak, those things, you're going to lose some series. You're going to win some series. Those things are going to happen. Just don't get too far out. Cause I feel like at some point you're going to get, you're going to have a six, you're going to win seven out of 10 games. Like I feel like that's going to happen at some point. I mean, now are you going to lose seven out of 10? I don't know. That might also happen, but um, so I just want to be able to maintain, you know, and, and just seeing guys have good at bats uh, is a positive for me. And credit to you, Jeremy, because this is something that you called two
2: weeks ago or so Uh, two shows ago, whatever was that last time that we did it then when they were losing to the Pirates a lot early and we were saying like, you know, this is a team that could run off and get hot against the Braves or against the Mets. And that's exactly what they did sweeping the Mets. So this is something we could see from the Cubs this year. They're going to struggle against lower quality teams. Randall's favorite peeve when it comes to baseball, when a good team loses to a team that they're not supposed to lose to, but then playing competitive baseball against upper tier teams in the league. And I think the Mets, yeah, they've had a rocky start to the year. That's a team that very likely could win the East. They're definitely going to be in playoff contention, I think, at least by the end of September. So that's a big time win to sweep them. And you play teams when you get them. Every team is sort of going through ups and downs over the course of a season. And you can catch a team that wins 100 games that's just having a bad week. They're very beatable. That happens all the time. So I'm just just giving you some credit there, Jeremy. You kind of said early on, like everybody needs to pump the brakes a little bit here. This is a bad start. But some things are going to level out here a little bit that is going to make this a little bit more manageable, and
1: we've seen that happen over the last week. And just to add back a little bit on your uh, – when you catch teams, an important thing, just when they catch the Mets, you know, the Mets have all these rain delays, and the Cubs benefit because they missed the grom, And that's a huge thing because I thought the game I was going to go to, was I kind of timed it for the ground start, and they got pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. Again. So, you know, you never know, like, how – Things are going to play out. One thing about that Mets series, I want to say, is Pete Alonso. Um, that ball he hit was—I yeah. was sitting right there, and he, and like it was like all for of Rex Brothers, and I was like, because when they put Rex Brothers in, I was like, I don't know why you're putting Rex Brothers in. I know you want trying to get Lindor out. I guess if you get Lindor out, your Alonso's up with one out. But I don't want Rex Brothers facing Pete Alonso. I'm like, that's yeah. the worst possible thing. Is if Lindor gets on and Alonso's up. Cause I'm like, I, I wish I, I went by myself. I wish I was with somebody. Cause I literally was yeah. calling it when I saw him come into the game and pitch, I'm like, Pete Alonzo about taking me deep. Yeah. I wish I was with somebody and that ball was smoked. And I, I did, I barely turned my head. I was like, he hit it. And I was like, okay, that's gone. There's no point yeah. even watching it. <laughs> Cause I'd never seen a ball hit harder. I don't think I, I I went into the same thing here. The Mets were in Denver last weekend.
2: Ended up being a doubleheader on Saturday and I'm like, oh, I want to go there and see Elmora and see uh, Alonzo and, and DeGrom was pitching the first game of the doubleheader. So I needed to get out there. I, I wanted to get a refill on the drink and I timed it in a way that I thought I was going to be fine. And then I got stuck in a line. I missed Alonzo's home run at Coors Field. The whole point in me going on a goddamn doubleheader was to see him hit the ball out. And I'm standing in line as he crushes the ball to left center field and leaves the ballpark. I mean, just, he just crushes at Wrigley. I know. I want him to be I a know. cub
1: because he's crushing at Wrigley.
2: Yeah. That's when he a- hits it, he hits it far and he hits it hard. And then I went to the uh, Phillies Rockies game Friday night going, okay, Harper's in town. I want to go see him. He doesn't do anything Friday night. Hits two home runs today. I just can't catch any breaks here. I go to see these stars play, and I'm either in line or I pick the wrong game when they're having their big performances.
0: Ronan, the, the theme seems to be avoidance. Uh, DeGrom purposely avoids the Cubs. Maybe he knew what <clears> was coming. Uh, Pete Alonso in his home run avoids you. Bryce Harper and his home runs avoid you. Maybe it's you. It could maybe, be. Maybe it's you. As you guys said, the Brewers are not necessarily a great team, especially without Yelich, without Kane that strikes me as a very beatable lineup and the Cubs could only manage the one win against them. That's a disappointing thing yesterday. And today both felt like very winnable games. You were, you were, you were up to nothing yesterday, then two, two, and then you go down because Manny Pena hits what turns out to be the go ahead two run Homer. You've you got the leadoff man on against Hayter in the ninth. And then the umpire calls a neck high strike on Jake Marisnik, And it's just all downhill from there in that game felt winnable. And today you were, you had a one, nothing deficit going into the top of the ninth inning and David Ross elected to put in Jason Adam instead of Craig Kimbrell, who has not worked a whole lot this week. And it went about as well as you would expect. And the game ended up uh, a six, nothing loss for the Cubs because they let in five runs in that ninth inning. Both of these games felt very winnable. The Cubs have played the Brewers nine times now, for some reason, again, another scheduling quirk. They won't see them again for two months after this. And unfortunately they're three and six in those nine games. And I think the brewers are a team against whom you need to do better for two reasons. One, you're going to be probably duking it out with them for the top of the division all season. And two, they're just not that good of a team. They've got two transcendent starting pitchers right now. Uh, They've got Freddie Peralta who again has given the Cubs fifths for a number of seasons now, and you could still only take the one win. And the one win was great because they scored 15 runs and made it a complete laugher. But you need to start winning more than one game in these series if you have any aspirations of competing for the division this season.
2: Agreed. And I don't think the wild card's going to come out of the National League Central. So the only hope to the postseason is winning the division. So you got to beat the Brewers. And I mostly agree with you there, Randall, but I will push back and say and this is a sentence that will excite Ray, so a little tip of the cap to him early. In the regular season, I think the Brewers are exploitable. I think you can definitely get to them in the regular season. That said, I think this is a very dangerous postseason team because they've got enough good pitching there with the bullpen, with Burns, with Woodruff in the starting rotation, and then they've got big time arms, three or four big time arms in the bullpen that in a short series or in a series where you get a day off, I think they're actually a really dangerous team in October, but you should be able to get to them now, especially because their offense has serious holes and it's a lot weaker when Yelich isn't in the lineup. The Cubs not being able to do more with that here in April is something that just makes their margin for error that much smaller. They've got, um, they've got to make up ground. Now they'll have fewer games against the Brewers and there's no guarantees that this roster is going to look like this as we get closer into July. So that's a little bit troublesome right now.
1: Right. Um, obviously when you're uh, competing in the division and you're losing games against a team in your division, that's not a good thing. Um, so yeah, I agree with you three and six against the Brewers. These are missed opportunities early off in the season. I See to me, when when a Brandon Woodruff starts a game, I I I I don't think like um, (laughs) I think we're pretty heavy underdogs in that. Where we've seen it time and time again against the Cubs, you know, you might be able to squeak, I you know, but uh, pretty heavy underdogs. And then going into that bullpen, I thought really the seventh inning, or maybe when Woodruff was faltering in the sixth, but when they put Fire Eyes in the seventh, was probably the Cubs' only real chance at actually competing in this game so today i kind of once once to be honest once jake i like loaded the bases in the first i was like this is probably an like an l already because coming back against woodruff and then that bullpen i that's that's a real tough one to do The, the game to me that i was very disappointed was as i said yesterday's game and you're you're right ronan in terms and both you guys actually uh three and six against the Brewers you have to take those if you want to compete we haven't played the Reds yet we haven't played the Cardinals yet so we'll see how we're able to stack up against those and mm-hmm. I, I think you know it, it's I think it's gonna be a close the whole way I think the Brewers are probably the slight favorites not just because they're the lead already but I'm just in terms of talent on the roster I think they are probably slightly the best most talented team on the roster I mean I think their pitching is so good that it makes up and when they get Yelich back they have some stars so uh, Corbin Burns is absolutely amazing. Yeah. He's been fantastic this year. Woodruff has been great. Freddie Peralta has been very good. And he's at the bullpen. I mean, we got to Devin Williams a couple of times, but he's still nasty. And Josh Hader. I mean, I, I don't think you can kind of count on getting to Josh Hader. I mean, we've gotten yeah. to him in the past, but like, if he's coming up in a one nothing game, I, I don't, I don't think you, or you're down by one run. I don't think you really count on, well, we're, we're planning on scoring a run here. So uh it's just disappointing, but uh Hopefully, you know, I, I actually have high hopes for this week. I think this Brave series, the Reds, at the end of the week, they're in a free uh, tailspin, seven in a row they've lost, so we'll see how they're doing. But I, I think this Brave series has, an, has a real opportunity for the Cubs this week.
0: And you'd, you'd certainly hope so. The Braves uh, had a rough Sunday. They got swept in uh, both uh, both ends of a doubleheader. Jeremy, I believe you told me earlier they had one hit. One hit uh, in, 14 innings. One hit in, in a pair of seven-inning games. So Ronan, the Cubs. you, you yep. made the point earlier. Sometimes it's about when you catch a team and uh, the Cubs just lost two or three to the Braves a week ago. And you, we all know who's on the Braves roster. We know about Acuna. We know about Freeman. Uh, as you said, maybe the Cubs are getting lucky catching the Braves when they're in a little bit of a, a hitting slump right now. We will see. Uh, so going back to this week, the starting pitching is, and we knew it was going to be a little bit of a concern. Zach Davies had a bit of a rough start. Uh, I thought he was cruising along there and then he just kind of ran out of steam in that fifth inning. He did not make it through five. Uh, Kyle Hendricks had a, a, a pretty decent start and Jake Arrieta, we already discussed, uh, was great today after that first inning. And we knew the starting pitching was going to be a little bit of a question. There are some names in this rotation who you have some expectations for, but we knew it was going to be a little bit of a coin flip. And this week was that you had a couple guys who did not perform particularly well and a couple who did. That's probably going to be something to watch going forward. And for me, the middle relief is probably the biggest concern right now. We've talked about Rex brothers has some trouble finding the zone. Jason Adam for all of his spin rate and decent stuff. He has trouble doing the same. You know, I trust Kimbrell in this bullpen right now, obviously. I trust Chafin for the most part, even though he took the loss yesterday. And I I feel like middle relief is kind of the issue with any team, because if you have decent relievers, they end up your, your setup guys, your closers. But right now, that's probably one of my biggest concerns on the roster is if your starter only goes five and you have a lead, who's going to get it to Kimbrell at the back end? Elsewhere on the roster, Javi is in uh, a bit of a spot right now. He's on pace for a very weird season. Uh, I would credit whomever came up with these statistics if I could find where they originated. But he's on pace this season to hit 45 home runs, steal 45 bases, drive in 144 runs. And in fact, he's tied for the NL lead in RBI right now with, I believe, 17. But he's also on pace to strike out 306 times. We know Javi is kind of a mercurial statistic ball player. We know he does things that nobody else does on the field, but we know that can come with a lot of frustration at the plate. Is, is this is what, is this what Javi is going to be for this season? Do you think, or do you think he's just in a bit of a hole right now and that he can pull himself out?
2: I'm very worried about Javier Baez. And I know Jeremy and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum with this. Um, I've got a lot of concerns with him. I've got concerns about how he ages as a player as well. Um, Look, Javier Baez has never been a guy who's going to walk a lot. I think his career high is around 5% or so in terms of walk rates. Right now it's under one and a half. His strikeout rate right now is nearly 50%. And, yes, it's only been 20 games or so. We're talking 80 plate appearances. But this is really problematic, right? Lots of swing and misses. It feels like he is and, – and I'm not trying to knock a guy who's clearly struggling at the plate, but it feels like he's guessing in the batter's box. He's going up there and just taking – cuts at pitches that are bouncing in the opposing batter's box. And then he's taking fastballs down the middle or not catching up with fastballs that are coming right over the heart of the plate. Um, that's alarming. And then I worried long-term about his defense. So I'm, I'm, I think there's a lot of reason to be worried about Javier Baez right now of the four guys that I think you prioritize in terms of a contract extension. And for those four, for me are Wilson Contreras, uh, Chris Bryant, uh Rizzo, and then Baez. For me, Baez is fourth on that list. Right now, he's the guy, he's the least, most person I want to see them extend right now. I worry about his game moving forward. He's had some things in the field, too, this season that have been uncharacteristically Javi. Some sloppy plays at short, and if his defense isn't there, that's a huge part of his overall package that's suddenly not working. So I'm worried. I hope he gets out of this. He can't possibly stay this bad. I hope. 50% Fifty percent strikeout rate, but it's starting to become a trend with him. Going back to last year, going back to portions of twenty nineteen, this there's some legitimate concern with Javier Baez in his swing right now.
1: Well, speaking of his defense, he was he was uh, he was the one kind of responsible for that Nico play today because he was shouting at Nico, telling him uh, that the runner on first had had wasn't off the bag or was hadn't taken uh, main lead. I think it was Narvaez. Um, Javi, yeah, a weird season. Uh, it's a really weird season because if you actually look at his uh, like swing rates and stuff, he's actually not his, – his swing rate out of the zone is actually down, and his swing rate in the zone is actually up. So what the issue really is is the fact that he's not making contact in the zone, specifically on fastballs. Um, he's getting beat a lot by fastballs in the zone, and – That's kind of a concern. I will agree with you on that, Ronan. Like, if he's getting beat by fastballs and he can't catch up to them, I'm not sure what the issue is there. But, you know, he hasn't really, he's struggled against fastballs the last couple of years. So that's concerning that he's not able to catch up to them. But his approach, per se, is kind of a little bit better this season. It's, he's not as much, he's not swinging as much out of the zone as he has in the past. Um, It's weird. Uh, I'm a hobby. Kind defender you can't defend 50 percent strikeout rate that's indefensible um i i just do i just think his all-around game gives you so much value and i don't really think that's value that's going to go that far away i, I think his defense will be great i for a long time i, I mean it's eventually with the client obviously but uh i think his I, baseball iq is an impressive is a will help him out his base running. I think that all makes his other stuff his baseball. IQ, makes his other attributes play up even more. Um, but yeah, you can't obviously be a major league contributor. If you're striking out 50% of the time, especially if you're only walking, you know, 1% of the time, those are, those are things that are going to have to change. As we, we said, or excuse me, as I've said, it's, you know, three weeks into the season, we'll see how things go, but obviously that's not a good trend. It's a concerning trend. Um, I was there when he crushed the ball on, I feel like the last couple games he had that over for 4, uh, a few days ago, but then the last, since I want to say Wednesday, I feel like he has been making a lot more contact. Not, not that that's a huge sample size, but the last three or four games, he had kind of the one play against the Mets. I think it was Thursday where his head was kind of, you know, not into it. Uh, probably should have had a double out of the box on a ball that he, and then he almost got thrown out at first. But you know, he got the talking to from the captain. He got sat to, uh, rested yesterday, I think it was. Um, but you know, on, on Friday he was he was a huge part of the reason why they put up those huge runs. He hit a grand slam on on Wednesday, so like he's got what five home runs, six home six. runs this year, yeah, six, six home runs. runs this year. So like, it's as you said, it's a weird season. I mean, if I think the stats you read right off, if I saw one of the things is that he was on pace for five five a five win season 5.1 f so like you know 300 strikeouts but a five uh war season is like is insane so who knows he's all over the place but uh he if he kept the issue's got to be him he's missing a lot of pitches in the zone and i don't know how that's going to get sorted out uh somehow him and i here whatever but he's got to that's where he's got to focus and, and get and and not get so beat on fastballs in the zone.
0: Like you guys said, you know, there's reasons to be very worried about hobbies or there's reasons to believe that he's got some improvement in him. Starling Castro was a hitter, not all that long ago. That was not, not similar to Javi in some ways, but he also did a whole lot of swinging, not a whole lot of walking. The Cubs tried to make him more of a patient hitter and it, it ended up throwing him off the track pretty heavily. Uh, in his time with the Cubs. Javi, as you said, is never going to be a guy who's all that patient. He's never going to walk all that much. And of course, the key for him is maximizing the contact when you do make contact. And like you guys have said, he's missing in the zone right now. And, you know, Javi's only going to make so much contact. If you're missing very hittable pitches in the zone, at Ronan, as you said, that's very concerning. And Jeremy, as you said, hopefully that's something he can work on with hitting coach Ayapose. And hopefully he can kind of bring himself up a little bit because right now he's not he's not the dependable hitter you need him to be even with his difficulties making contact who is not having difficulties right now is his partner on the left side of the infield there chris bryant who is finally healthy again and shockingly a healthy chris bryant is a productive chris bryant he's had a rough couple seasons between injuries and ineffectiveness and guys it's really good to see a healthy productive and one of the better hitters in the league chris bryant back in the lineup
2: I really want him to be the priority right now in terms of an extension. I don't think he's the easiest guy to extend. I think Rizzo, you can work out something there if that, that would be reasonable to both sides. I know they've broken off chatter. Um, Bryant, though, has become the top priority, I think, for me. He just looks like Chris Bryant again. He's walking. He's slugging. He's driving the ball. He's playing right field, left field, third base. I mean, he's doing everything for the team right now. So it has been welcome to see. Will he maintain his health? We'll see. We'll see where this goes. We're still only a couple of weeks into the season. But this has been the most encouraging thing, I think, offensively this year has been the resurgence of
1: Chris Bryant. Uh, yeah, obviously, I agree with you on uh, terms of the fact that Chris Bryant should be the number one priority. I, I I think he always should have been the number one priority. I hope they open the checkbook up for him. It's nice to see him um, having a kind of a resurgent year. I think, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's quite as great or as good as his numbers would suggest right now. But, uh, you know, it's nice to see. The thing about Chris is, like, he, he has that launch angle. So he's always hitting the ball in the air, which creates, gets him the distance, even though he doesn't really hit the ball super hard in terms like, you know, c- comparable to like, let's say, a Ronald Acuna or Pete Alonso or somebody. He doesn't have that type of exit velocity, but he has enough exit velocity. hits in the air. The ball travels far. So, you know, that's nice to see. And he's versatile. He's playing in the outfield now. He, you know, jocks out. Nico's up. They didn't bring up an outfielder. They, they're going to have Chris out there. Uh, So, you know, that's a huge plus to have a guy who's capable, not only capable, but willing to go out and do whatever it takes for the team. So, yeah, I would hope he's a focal point for the front office to get done. Obviously, with Scott Boris as his agent, it's kind of it's a difficult task to get done, especially so close to free agency. But I feel like Chris, I mean, not that he I, I he probably would go anywhere. That's willing to pay him, but I I do think he likes being a cub and would want to stay if he had a choice if he he was asked hey you can get the same contract from five teams and the Cubs were one of those five teams I assume he would pick the Cubs because I would I would I doubt he would want to, you know, change his life so hopefully they're able to you know, at least make a competitive offer for him where it's something he would have to consider, but it's nice to see a resurgent. And hopefully as you say, he stays healthy because he had that resurgent year in 2019, he had a knee injury in San Francisco and then it kind of went downhill after that. So we'll see.
0: And we'll get back to Bryant on the field in just a second, but Brian off the field is kind of a funny case because I think more than any other player on the roster, he was the subject of incessant. You know, that's my word there. Incessant trade rumors last off season and this off season, and it, it feels like Chris Bryant, for as low maintenance as he is, as unassuming and quiet as he is, he's always the one who seems to have to do the most kind of defending himself, uh, certain members of the media who will go unnamed, but let's say they feel self-important enough to nickname themselves. Um, oh, come on, just say it. Say it. Yeah, you gotta say it. Yeah, yeah, I think we can figure it out. You know, they're big fans. Cat of Catman? Yes, that's exactly what I was going for. They're,
1: they're, I actually didn't know
0: yeah so they're big fans of putting out there that bryant has turned down massive contract offers and that he doesn't like to stay he doesn't want to stay in chicago he doesn't like chicago and it feels like once or twice a spring bryant has to go up there and say that he doesn't know where any of this is coming from he loves chicago he would love to stay here and again chris bryant is one of the most low maintenance guys on this roster he you never have to worry about him off the field you don't even have to worry about him on the field when he's healthy because even if he gets into a little bit of a slump, he's smart enough and disciplined enough to usually work himself out of it. And I feel bad for him because it seems like in the offseason, he, he can't get a moment's peace without someone trying to tell him or even texting him from a, a fake number, welcome to the Mets, which happened to him this offseason. And I, I kind of feel for him because he, he has to deal with all that in addition to coming off last season, uh, a season of injury, a short season where he didn't perform all that well. Going back to him on the field, some numbers for you. Right now, he is sixth in slugging percentage in the National League, seventh in the National League in OPS. He's tied for first in doubles. According to fan graphs, in only 21 games, he's already been worth 1.1 uh, WAR, 7.2 offensive WAR. And again, this is what we get from a healthy Chris Bryant. And if I have one concern going forward, it's that the last couple seasons playing the outfield has often been where he's gotten injured and derailed very productive seasons. Uh, last season alone... He suffered a pretty bad wrist injury diving for a ball, I believe, in Cleveland, and that set off the downward spiral from there, in part because he did not want to sit and let that injury heal fully before getting back on the field. So I hope that with Peterson on the IL and Bryant likely playing more outfield for the time being, hopefully he can avoid that and continue being productive and healthy. Because as we've gone over three or four different ways right now, a healthy Bryant is a productive Bryant, and a productive Bryant is one of the best hitters in the National League.
1: Yeah. I feel like he's been more injured on the base pass. I thought like in that shoulder injury and then the finger injury, but whatever. I mean, but yeah, you're right. Uh, last year, obviously being a shortened season, I, I, I think it's tough for a guy, if he's going to miss a significant amount of time, you know, if he can get out there, I would think he would want to be out there. If 60 game season. You're saying, well, you, he had like what a broken finger, fractured hand, uh finger. If that's probably telling him to sit out like three, four months or whatever. So or not months. I didn't mean to say months, I meant to say weeks. Um uh so he probably wanted if he could get that, you know, juiced up and ready to go, he probably wants to get out there and not miss, you know, 10 games, 20 games.
2: Yeah. But, you know, and as we've said, too, it's in everybody's best interest for Bryant to play well, right? He's on the cusp of free agency. The Cubs could give him a big deal and keep him here the rest of his career. The Cubs could trade him here at the deadline. He could go to a contender, maybe win a World Series and then go into free agency. Or he could be traded somewhere to a place that they've got ambitions of extending him. So sky's kind of the limit. Everybody wins if Chris Bryant plays well, and it's going to certainly uh, make it interesting over the next couple of weeks to see, okay, how are the Cubs playing? How is Bryant playing? And then where do their futures align? And perhaps their future is going to be the Cubs trade Chris Bryant, they get some prospects back. And that's the way that this story plays out. Um, But we don't know that I don't think that's decided yet. And Jeremy, you know, you and I both very much, I think, in agreement, he's the top priority. I'd love to see them extend Bryant, even if other folks are possibly being traded, like Wilson Contreras is a ton of value. I don't want to see Wilson Contreras gone, but they're going to get a boatload back if he ends up being moved. They've got $40 million committed to next season. There's a ton of money to be spent for the Cubs to be competitive again next year. So I would love to see them go for it with Bryant and a healthy Chris Bryant. He's really fun to watch. And you mentioned the injuries on the base paths. He's one of the best base runners I've ever seen in baseball. Not that he's the fastest guy in the field. He's an efficient base runner. He's a smart base runner. And when he gets going, he moves pretty well. So it's just pretty neat to see him when he's healthy playing at the level that he's capable of, which is an MVP caliber player.
0: Switching gears a little bit from the team on the field to our primary conduit to watching this team, the Marquee Sports Network is in its second season. Uh, It's first full, I don't wanna say normal, but bigger season. We are 21 games in, uh, of course, with a new play-by-play voice in the television booth in Boog Scambi, pairing with Jim Deshays. Guys, 21 games in, I have to say, I'm a big fan of the Boog edition. I think we were all real high on it uh, when it was announced in the off season. And 21 games in, it has yet to disappoint. I think he's fit right in alongside the Shays.
1: I'm a fan. I I, I like the Boog addition. I, I think he's been great. Um, obviously, you know, you're going to have your hiccups early on in a season. Uh, guys haven't worked together. I assume it'll get better as the season goes on. And I think him and Jim, as I thought when he was hired, I thought they would work, I thought they would work great together. I thought they'd fit really well. And I think Boog has fitted really well. I, I, I think he obviously knows a lot about the sport. He has a lot of good uh, chatter about, you know, his time in other places, Atlanta. He can talk about being in Atlanta or Florida um, so and working nationally. So it, it, I, I think, you know, he, he. it's nice to have a little bit of a different perspective, especially a guy who's been outside the Cubs the last few years, to bring that in you know, to have a little bit different perspective, to have a little bit different eyes telling you what's going on and seeing what's going on. And I think Boog has been a wonderful addition to the booth so far. I've got a bit of a unique perspective being not local in that one, I've
2: got MLB TV and the benefit of that is I watch a lot of baseball, not just Cubs baseball. I watch teams all the time. If there's an interesting pitching matchup or if there's a good young player out West, I watch those games, which means I see a lot of TV broadcast booths. We are very, very lucky in Chicago. The White Sox are very lucky as well, but we're very lucky in Chicago to have the crew that we have. JD is phenomenal. And and color analysts in particular, those, those secondary broadcasters, are really bad, a lot of other teams. And we've got a really good one on the north side of Chicago. Boog has settled in. He's a total pro. I want him to get a little bit more personality into it. I think that that's coming. I think that he's still walking that line. Like tonight, right now, he's calling a national broadcast for ESPN Radio. He still is sort of in that mindset of a national broadcast. That's something that marquee management has said that they wanted to bring to the Cubs broadcast. But I want them to settle in a little bit, too. And you can see it happening. I think it's going to be a very good fit. But like I said, I see a lot of other teams. It's bad in some other cities. Cringy, cringy, awkward, stupid broadcasts. The other thing I want to say, though, being at distance is I only get the ball games on marquee. I don't get pregame and postgame coverage. It comes on when the game starts. I think my feelings about Cole Wright and what's going on in the studio, I wouldn't feel so good collectively about it, at least based on what I see from him on things like Twitter. It's just not really what I'm looking for there. So I only get the broadcasts. I think from the first pitch to the end of the game, the Cubs broadcast boots as good as anybody, but I can't speak for what goes on in the studio. And what I have seen, not really something I've got much interest in watching.
0: Yeah, well, the Ron, studios. Are, yeah, you're not. You're, you're not, missing not missing a whole lot, which I suspect is what Jeremy was about to say. You, you, well, I was going to say the studios is, studio. is an
1: interesting. Uh, it's an interesting situation because you, you usually got you got Cole, who, I, I guess I don't know. He's not Kaplan, so. That's a positive, right? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's a um, low
0: bar, but good for him for
1: clearing it. And then you got, then you you then have your your Ryan Sweeney or your Sean Marshall, whoever's in, which is such a weird thing to me. Uh, like Ryan Sweeney is such an odd guy to have in there. Sean Marshall, I kind of get a little bit, but Ryan Sweeney is such. A, and then you have your like third guy from wherever, who's your Rick Sutcliffe, your Doug Glanville, your Dan Plesack this year. Uh, Mark Grace is coming in, Carlos Pena. So, like, it's kind of, they're all on, on, so it's like a really weird setup where it's like two guys in the studio, one guy on the, on the Zoom or whatever. But uh, I don't know. It, it's a weird, it's a whole weird deal. But to go back to your point, is I agree with you. There's a lot of interesting. The one thing I like is that, that we haven't really had is obviously your home team broadcaster is going to be a homer, mm-hmm. but they're not like an over the top, kind of like they're an objective guy like even len was like an objective guy who's kind of an objective guy i don't need like guys going out there telling me how i'm, I'm gonna go out to you at denver or whatever but how raymel tapia is like the best left fielder ever or nolan yeah. you know is is a reincarnation of uh mike schmidt or something like um so like there's some broadcasters out there that's like come on i can't watch this because it's like So over the top laudatory of like their own guys.
2: Well, I had that moment today because – so I was up in Boulder most of the day today. I didn't get to see a lot of today's game. I caught the first – oh, I guess I caught about the first six innings or so, and then I was radio the rest of the way. The ninth inning was a total disaster, right? Like you have a yeah. one nothing ball game. The Cubs are very much in it, even though they've got to face one of the best relief pitchers. You're like, okay, if it's a one-run game, who, one who swing. did the
1: radio today? Just, well, so, yeah. so, yeah,
2: so Zach Zaidman gets the full thing play-by-play. Okay. Play. Spiegel did the pop-ups with the – uh scores around the league and things like that i didn't really hear any of him but you're in the ninth inning the cubs just give up three runs the bases are loaded the game's over now for all intents and purposes the cubs strikes i I think adam was out of the game whoever came in after adam got a strikeout zach zayman is treating it like the cubs just won the world series here and it's like will you calm down dude like read the damn room a little bit here like it's just so forced And a goonish type of a broadcast there, like you're getting smoked in the ninth inning, you're going to lose another series to the Brewers, don't be jumping around about a strikeout at the end of the game here like it was just so amateur, and it was such the opposite of what Pat Hughes normally does there. So I I guess, you know, I I mostly see the Cubs on TV and I don't get any pre or post game. And I think that overall that enhances the experience for me because it's the extra stuff on marquee that doesn't do anything. Taylor McGregor. uh, Yeah. Taylor McGregor seems like a nice lady. I I think I saw her doing Rockies games here before she ended up heading out east to Chicago. She's not adding anything to these broadcasts she has a very difficult time getting sentences out it, it just detracts and it's like an uneven broadcast from start to finish I would wish that Markey would just simplify things you know what I never want to see during a baseball game ever again in my life a goddamn tweet I don't want to see tweets pop up on the screen during a baseball game I don't know who that appeals to it doesn't appeal to me and I don't think it adds anything to the broadcast
0: yeah, Ron, and that's, that's a great seg. Boog and Deshays are great. Uh, one thing that I think Boog does that Len doesn't, uh, and this is not a knock on Lang in the slightest, but Len was very much the straight man to Deshays being the comedian. Boog and Deshays are both the comedian. I said earlier this week that in the best possible way, they are the same variety of knucklehead, and they they both are kind of on the same wavelength, which makes these broadcasts really pop. And you said, I think Jeremy said that they, they need just a little bit more time to get perfectly in sync, like a great quarterback and a great wide receiver need just a little bit of time to, to, really, to really get in sync. A couple of times, one of them has kind of tossed the other something and the other hasn't quite known what to do with it. And I think that's going to improve dramatically. But as you said, once you get outside the actual booth, the marquee broadcasts are still pretty rough. And I'm trying to give them a little bit of a pass right now because they are still not able to have quite the access that I think was envisioned when the Cubs started their own RSN. But as you said, Taylor McGregor, I don't want to put this all on her. I don't think she's going and getting quotes from the opposing starting pitchers, high school baseball coach of her own volition. I'm sure that's an editorial edict. But as you said, it adds nothing to the broadcast. I don't especially care that the starting pitcher took, took training on how to get himself into a routine and now he does his laundry on a certain day it just doesn't add anything to the broadcast and I understand they're trying to give you a little bit of a background on the the opposing team and that's great it adds nothing the tweets on the screen are so impossibly neutral pablum that like you said I don't know who they're for there's just a whole lot of chaff a whole lot of extraneous debris on the broadcast right now and Ronan I know you've had this complaint about the Rockies broadcasts out there before that they, there's a whole lot of stuff on those broadcasts. It feels like Marquis, as they were putting the presentation together, it feels like they, they checked in on all those other RSN broadcasts and said, yeah, our viewers want this kind of, this kind of debris on the broadcast too. Let's make sure we give it to them. And it, it just adds so little. I think they could, for, they could serve to trim a lot from these broadcasts and there would be that much better.
1: I, I I kind of disagree with you a little bit, Randall. I don't know if that's necessarily a marquee thing. I kind of think it is a Taylor thing. Because when you have different sideline reporters, they're doing different things. Like, she's presenting different stories than other sideline reporters are presenting. She's doing more, like, kind of, I guess, human interest stuff or, like, others, like, it's, like, I don't know. She does a lot more BS around the game where, like, she's going to find a vendor or something where, like, when they have um, Elise Medecker, she's doing things about baseball. She's doing things about uh, what's going on in the dugout in respect to the game at hand. So, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some other stuff. But, like, that's also what Taylor, as you mentioned, did Colorado. So, like, I feel like she kind of has a different view on what she's supposed, like, giving – her reporting on it to me. It does nothing for me. I would rather, I, I mean, I don't want a sideline reporter, but if I got a sideline reporter, I'd rather have somebody telling me something interesting that's going to affect the game at hand. Um, kind of, you know, so like, you know, injuries, other type of things, but uh, that's just how I, I've seen it. I, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle there too. And one thing I've been surprised by
2: has been the public stance that management and marquee has shared. Right, the things that they put out through their press releases or the things that they leak to the media. And one of the big things that we've heard from this group has been they wanted more of a national broadcast field. Remember last year, they tried the suit and tie thing. What boggles my mind is, is there anybody at Clark and Addison right now with their head out of their ass? who can go, look at how much WGN means to this fucking fan base, right? People love WGN and why do people love WGN? Because it was distinctly Chicago. Ernie Harris, the way they showed the neighborhood, the way they showed the mailman catching home run balls across the street. It was a distinctly Chicago broadcast that built one of the biggest baseball fan bases in the world. Now management comes in here and says, we need more of a national feel. Doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. And I don't understand why there's nobody there who realizes what they have and that this is a market and a team that would benefit from simplifying things. Go hard on the nostalgia, go back to the things that we're used to WGN broadcast doing, like. At the end of the game, let the team celebrate for a minute before you go to a commercial break instead of going straight into a post-game commercial break. Right. Let us see the fans singing and the, the, the players high fiving on the mound before you cut to commercials. It's just a not Chicago people making decisions for an audience that very much cares about Chicago
1: people. And that dichotomy doesn't make any sense to me. Well, yeah, it's because they, they think that they're they're trying to build a national brand. They're trying to build an elite I, elite I, I is not the right word, uh, but they're trying to build something that, like, you know. That they think of as the top, you know, um, as the top. And, and as you mentioned, they brought in these guys from New York um, who are making these decisions. And let me just say. I don't know why New York is like – I've watched a lot of New York broadcasts. The Yankees broadcast is not a good broadcast to me. The Mets broadcast is interesting. I think they have some funny mm-hmm. guys, Gary Cohn, uh, Ron Darling, Keith Hernandez. They're interesting. I, I like them. But the Yankees broadcast, I I don't know. And it feels like that's what they're, like, trying to do is what the Yankees are kind of doing. And it's just not interesting. And, I mean, they're both Sinclair, yes, and Marquis. Um, and they brought in these guys from MSG – you know and like we're not new york chicago's not new york so like mm-hmm. you're coming in here you're you need to, and i just feel like Ricketts. you know he, he, i i think he has this idea like he's trying to build the cubs into this behemoth you know uh this like huge money-making machine this behemoth of like this whole thing but he's not really but you have to focus on what makes the cubs the cubs yes you know you have to focus on and I think he's done some of that with in terms of Wrigley in the ballpark. I think they've mm-hmm. actually done a good job of kind of keeping the feel of the ballpark. But outside of it, it's like they're it's not that at all. Like Marquis, like you mentioned, it doesn't kind of I don't have like the same feel of it that I had for, as you said, WGN, like something that was so uniquely Chicago. So it's just it just feels kind of bland. It feels like it's got that feel. Even no offense, I love as you said, Boog and Jim Deshays. I think they're really good Brock broadcast team but there's nothing chicago about boogie jim Deshays. there they could fit in anywhere you know you're not going to get that. i mean I, I do think they've tried to bring that a little bit they have rhino every once in a while they think they're doing it with dempster um you know suckle i guess kind of comes in but a yeah. mark race but um you know i agree with you and and i wish they hired the one guy from wgn to kind of advise them but i wish they had it felt like a more of a a focus on what on chicago-esque Exactly. And and keep it simple. Sunshine,
2: baseball, Ivy, Lake Michigan, manual scoreboard, vendors, fans. It's pretty simple. Bleachers it's not here. that exactly just get the camera on the characters that are in the ballpark. Right. And all you got to do is pan through the bleachers and you're going to find a whole wide variety of diverse, interesting characters that are out enjoying baseball games. WGN was so good about that. And I just think marquee it's like, lean into the things that you've got and that's, what's going to draw people to Chicago. Like, like when the, when the Cubs were on WGN, the thing that was so surprising and built the audience, all these day games was look at this ballpark. There's Ivy on the wall. It's the only day game going on today. The bleachers are packed. The sun is shining. Look, they've got boats out on Lake Michigan. It was distinctly Chicago that built this national audience. So lean into that. And, um, I I would like to see a change at the uh, sideline position because I think they've got a a world-class play-by-play announcer. They've got one of the best color analysts in the game. And then it's just clunky when they head down to the field and it shouldn't be that way. It's marquee. They should be amongst the best. The Cubs should be amongst the best at anything, um, including what their network looks like and how these broadcasts feel.
0: And And Zaidman on the
2: radio, yikes,
0: not good. Not only is the sideline work unnecessary, but they go to it far too often. It feels like every half inning, they send it down to Taylor, and every time I just go, no, no, keep it in the booth and keep just, just call the game. And speaking of the booth, as Jeremy said, they've tried to work some former players back in there. Sandberg was sitting in with them yesterday. And it, 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 you know Sandberg was a great player, and I think he's a great personality. He's not necessarily the most interesting individual in the booth. It just disrupts the flow of the broadcast, and we keep coming back to this one very simple fact, is that it's not simple enough. There's simply yeah. too much else going on and Ronan feels like you have more to say about this. Well,
2: and I think like the third broadcaster too, like how many times he got a shoehorn Ryan Dempster into a broadcast, but I will say this, and I've been the biggest vocal critic of Ryan Dempster since he was on the mound for the Cubs and the whole Harry Carey thing has really bothered me. I have felt like in the last year, and I don't see his show, I don't get marquee other than during games. I feel like the shtick has been cut back a bit And I have found myself enjoying him a little bit more when he does pop into these broadcasts. So credit where credit's due. He's a guy who I have just heaped criticism on long before this podcast started. I feel like Ryan Dempster is improving as a color analyst. He's a little bit less gimmicky than he was. And that's welcome because if they're going to shoehorn him into these games, at least he's not up there doing Harry Carey impressions every other inning.
0: Ronan, you're not wrong. Dempster being on the broadcast has surprised me in that there is a functional analyst in there when he's not so busy trying to work in the shtick every, every other sentence. And there is a little bit of a worthwhile dynamic in both him and Deshays kind of being like the, 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 funny, the funny brothers and Boog is the dad who has to keep them in line. There's, there's a little bit of a dynamic that works there. I don't need a third guy in the booth. Dempster is not the worst they have brought in. So there's, I don't know if that's damning through faint praise or not. But Dempster, as you said, has improved a lot. Um, it's still, I'm still unnecessary. I don't need a third guy in the booth, you know, do it one or two innings a game if you really need, but again, we, we can only say it so many times simplify it. And as we said, last year they had Len and JD wearing suits this year, they ditched that and they, they claim they did it because people just weren't feeling it. My hope is that as things start to open up again and they start getting better access to the players and they start getting better access to the clubhouse. My hope is that they will take the hint and start doing better, better content with that access and start cutting out a lot of the extraneous chaff.
2: Well, one thing we can thank COVID for. The parade of assholes coming into the booth for the seventh inning has ended and it's been mostly like what like Ron Santo, Harry Carey, Ernie Banks and things on the video board. I think that's the way to go moving forward. Like bring back a couple of former players or guys that are still living to sing. Otherwise
1: give me Harry on the video board. Damn near every time. That said um, I wish they would change it up a little bit. Cause yes. seeing the same ones over and over yes. again are a little bit. Also, I wish they had like kind of uh, like a fallback for, you know, where we are, what the game situation is. So, like, maybe we have a Harry for when we're down and we need him to say, let's get some runs or something. Exactly. Or a Harry for, like, like I wish, because, you know, hearing the same one where Harry's going, you know, I've never heard you sing better or whatever every single time. It's like I've Lazy. been here three, you know, I've watched, like, five games and I've been at Wrigley really like, four or five times, and I keep seeing the same one over and over again. It's like you have – there's no way they don't have, you know, a thousand games of Harry singing. Right. Like, something stretch They can find a few that are decent.
2: And and but it is though so nice, and I totally agree with you. Just mix it up a little bit, dig into the archives a bit. Um, but you know, to not get Belushi's brother in there bantering about his latest CBS show. Well, you're I don't a miss... fan of
1: Belushi's brother.
2: Well, I look, I got myself into a little Blues Brothers branded. Uh, Colorado best here uh, over the weekend. And it was good. It was good. Um, Normally I, I avoid the gimmicky stuff, but I saw the blues brothers outline. I said, ah, I got to try it. Um, but I just don't need to see him or uh, any number of these sort of celebrity cub fans that they roll out to the ballpark every year. A couple of them. I like, I like Jeff Garland. I enjoy some of his comedy. Obviously curb is a great show, but then you've got the other guys. It's like, okay,
1: yes. Belushi again. I really don't need this today. Well, since we're on the subject and, and just to go out, one of the obvious, um, best moments ever, and it's now a sad moment, is Steve Mongo McMichael being oh, tossed man. out of a ball game from the upper deck or from the after seeing the seventh inning stretch. So just want to, you know, because Steve obviously Mongo has some issues being diagnosed with ALS. Uh, and so hopefully the best for him. But that was one of the best moments ever of a Wrigley seventh inning stretch.
2: And I will say this, I'm working on something right now. I'm, I'm with about three weeks away from the end of my term here. And then my summer is going to open up. I'm going to have some more free time again. This is the 20th anniversary of the 2001 Chicago Cubs. One of my favorite teams. That was the year where, uh, that, that, uh, moment. It was a Cubs Rockies game in August where he was ejected during the seventh inning stretch from Angel Hernandez. I'm working on something on the 2001 Cubs to weave into this podcast because it's a story that needs to be told. It's a team that needs to be remembered. And we'll get to it as we get through this year, especially if the season gets away from the Cubs. We're going to need some interesting content. I'm going to revisit the 2001 Cubs as the summer goes on here.
0: Boy, when Ronan promises he's working on something, get the fire extinguisher ready get the get the dustpan ready get the broom ready maybe get the vacuum ready because you you, you never know what's going to happen
2: call your sons call your daughters call your neighbors
0: we're talking the 2001 chicago cubs boy we, we might need a triple a triple length edition podcast for that one we'll keep it in the broadcast booth here as we move along from marquee to the national booth and fitting that we're recording this on sunday night Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN is, I would say, MLB's flagship broadcast. You could argue maybe it's the Saturday Fox games. But for me, it's the Sunday Night Baseball booth. And for a number of years now, it has not been a particularly good booth, owing in part to play-by-play man Matt Beskirgin and his right-hand man and color commentator Alex Rodriguez. Guys, we all have something to share about what makes this booth a bad booth. Jeremy, you've got the most recent example, and I believe it was just last week when the Braves were beating up on the Cubs. What did what did Arod say that that jumped out at you and made you tell us that this simply isn't true?
1: Oh, I think Arod uh, made some comment about uh, Hendricks. How Kyle Kyle Hendricks wouldn't be drafted, like basically in today's game, because he didn't throw hard enough, which was kind of. To me, an outrageous comment, even because even, first of all, Kyle Hendricks is only drafted in like 2011 or something. 2010. It's not like Kyle Hendricks was drafted in 1988 or something. It's like <laughs> the game hasn't changed that much in 10 years. I know. But that, you know, velocity is obviously I mean, velocity was a huge deal. Then like guys are throwing hard, but velocity is obviously a huge deal. And teams are obviously scoping for a velocity, but they're also like teams think they can add. To guys they think they can build from guys they think they like pitching has gone insane right now and uh, you know you have all these pitch labs everywhere uh we've talked about you know there's pitch shaping courses and classes and all this and working with weighted balls and all different techniques that the whole biomechanics of figuring out how to throw hard um that guys have been doing And, and teams have organizations have like built starters and they think they can build starters and develop starters out of guys that you know, weren't necessarily thought of as elite talented like college baseball players that weren't throwing hard, like Corbin Burns is an example. Shane Bieber is an example. These aren't guys that were like in college just like just dominating and throwing hundred miles an hour. So it's so it's like an insane statement to say like, well a guy like Kyle Hendricks wouldn't be drafted today because he's not lighting up the first of all, when Kyle Hendricks was drafted, he was throwing harder than he probably is today. He was probably throwing like 88, 89, even touching 90. He's kind of lost some velocity over time where he's now 87, 86, 88. Um, But so that was just something, I don't know. I actually liked A-Rod when he was a studio guy with Fox. I thought he was fine when he's like it, but now I don't know, maybe it's just, there's just too much exposure or whatever. He, he has all these weird, Like it's the weirdest thing to me is you have all these guys that don't understand why they were good at baseball. And I don't, I don't understand that. It's like, why is A-Rod so obsessed with bunting? He never bunted. He hit 690 home runs. He did it. Like, it's like, why are you, why do you think like bunting is the greatest thing in the world? Like, I don't understand you when you were a ball player. If, why did you play that way? That Joe Morgan was the same way. It's like Joe Morgan's like when, he didn't believe in on-base percentage. Joe Morgan had one of the highest on-base percentages ever. He took walks. He hit for hours as A second baseman. It's like where where is this coming from? Why don't you believe in on-base percentage? Um, so it's such a weird thing. I feel like A-Rod's kind of he tries too hard. He wants to be. It's like A-Rod, you're okay. You, you're, you're you don't have to prove so much. Just be confident in yourself, and just you don't need like he, he's trying. He's turning into like Dick Vitale. You know, he's all shtick. It's like, you don't have to do that. Just relax.
0: Jeremy's spot on. A-Rod began his broadcast career, I believe, in the, the Fox Sports MLB studio. And it, it's kind of like a, a bench player who performs well in limited at-bats, and then you put him in the starting lineup and he gets exposed real quick. I feel that's I feel like that's partially what happened to him. He was he was good in the studio. He had decent insight. He was able to break things down pretty quickly pretty clearly. And then you put him in the broadcast booth for three hours a night every week. And all of his flaws are, are just exposed out there for everyone to hear. My Alex Rodriguez in the ESPN booth story comes three years ago. Late in the season, Hugh Darvish was injured. He'd been shut down for the season at this point. And Alex Rodriguez comes up with this five-minute story about how Darvish was distracting his teammates by rehabbing and working out with the team as opposed to being away from the team and he keeps going on about how the team isn't happy with him and his teammates aren't happy with him and it was just mind-blowing that this is a guy who has an audience of millions of people you're on your sports flagship national broadcast and you are creating this story whole cloth and reading it to a national audience and I like to think that most of the people who listened were smart enough to to do exactly what I did and realize that he'd made it up completely, but there are still a lot of people who get their their insight around the league from these national broadcasts and to think that they were having this this storybook read to them it 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 pissed me off and especially because it was not either too long or too, too, too much time before that he had said the complete opposite about Aaron judge of the Yankees, who was hurt at the time, but he was known to be rehabbing with the team and a rod goes out of his way to praise him and say that he's, you know, it's important that he be around his teammates. And that's what he does. He just makes these things up completely out of thin air. And I I just don't know where it comes from. And Jeremy, you, you said he forgets what made him a great player. He forgets a lot. And we know that he had designs on buying the Mets before Steve Cohen finally ended up buying them. It's funny how how quickly he went from former player to someone who really wanted to fit in among those owners, recommending a whole lot of labor and financial things for the players, things that the players probably weren't too happy to hear. And it's funny that he did that last season when he wasn't going to have clubhouse access. And I think it was Brandon McCarthy, the former major league pitcher, who said that he would have loved for A-Rod to have had to answer for those comments into a major league clubhouse. And, you know, it's just the making things up and providing no insight. I think tonight alone, he said something like there is third base, which is a very important base to have. It's just, he's, he's not a good broadcaster.
2: You know, I've got a bit of a slightly different, perspective on the broadcast and I just want to throw it out there a little bit because largely I agree with you. I don't care for Matt Vaskersian as the play-by-play voice. I've enjoyed A-Rod more in studio environments than as an analyst, where his personality can shine a little bit more and he's not actually breaking down what's happening. Um, but I think that Sunday night baseball as a concept is antiquated now. And it's from a time when the way you accessed baseball was different. Like Sunday night baseball started in 1990. In 1990, cable was still booming and growing in the United States. There were 20 cable networks in 1980 in the United States. By 1990, there were 80, right? People aren't watching uh, baseball games on Sunday night as their only opportunity to watch teams anymore, right? If you've got an MLB.TV subscription, Blackout rules aside, you have an opportunity to watch every team every day at any point in time from the comfort of your own phone. So I just feel like as a a concept here, Sunday night baseball uh, doesn't carry the significance that it did when it started in the early 1990s. Then you've got a network that doesn't really know what to do with three and a half hours of programming on Sundays. They clog their broadcast talking about other storylines in the game and other things that are happening instead of focusing on what everybody's watching. So all of that together Viewer habits have changed. The network not really knowing what to do with it, you put that together and you've got a clunky Sunday night broadcast. The other thing too is that now we know players don't really love Sunday night games. When I was a kid, 98, 99, going to Wrigley, I thought Sunday night baseball was a big deal. Now we know players hate playing on Sunday night. It's generally a travel day. You've got to go across the country to play a game the next day. They don't want to be playing baseball at 10, 11 o'clock at night in front of half-empty ballparks. So it's lost its mystique. I think ESPN doesn't know what to do with it. And I think that that you know it doesn't carry the significance that Sunday night football does, for example, where you get good primetime matchups in the NFL for 16 or now 17 weeks, 17-game 17 schedule. Major League Baseball... It doesn't work that way right sometimes guys play clunkers you make a couple of errors early it's an ugly game and it's a blowout so i feel like viewer habits have changed the network doesn't know what to do you put that together you get kind of a meandering sunday night baseball who does it appeal to it doesn't appeal to hardcore fans they don't like all the other nonsense those other fans aren't watching because they watch their team and then they move on to something else so it just feels like a product that doesn't really have much of a vision of what it should be or an identity. And I just think that maybe we reach a time here in the next decade where Sunday night baseball isn't a thing again, because it's window of significance has passed.
1: I, yeah, I think that's actually happening because I'm not sure in the next contract of ESPN is picking up as many games as they have in the past. Um, I, 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 I think Dan Schulman was before Vaskirjan, right? Was it? And, um, I thought he did a decent job. Um, it's a weird broadcast, as you mentioned, because, well, the one thing is, I like it. See, the, the decent thing about this broadcast is they actually do seem to like baseball, though. Um, you know, the, as opposed to like a John Smoltz who's announcing, it seems like he hates everything about everything that's being happening. It's like it's like um, so I, I think when you have your national guy always critiquing uh, in John Smoltz, like your top guy always critiquing the game and complaining about the game and like making it like, I think that hurts more than at least a rod and Vaskirgen seem like they're enjoying the game. They're trying to get something out of it. It's just, I, I don't think Vaskirgen is very good. I, I think he's just kind of nonsensical and just all the time. And then a rod it's like, it always just, it. the problem with like a national game is that it always feels like the broadcasters aren't as familiar with, you know, your team, they're not following your team every day. It's a little different than like a national uh, football broadcast. where first of all, there are no local broadcasters outside of the radio and you know, every it's once a week, it's not every day game. So like, it's hard. I, I would feel like for a national broadcaster, like they're not there for the last seven days. They haven't seen what this team has been going through, even probably more than that because they weren't announcing them seven days ago. So like, it's going to have a different feel and it, it's a different, and, and it's just it's just a, a as you said, it's a mess. And you know, A-rod, he 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 kind of tries to talk with authority on certain things that Randall's mentioning that maybe maybe he doesn't have that authority. Um, and so I don't know. I've always kind of had this feeling about Arod where he's always kind of like he's always trying to like he I, I I feel like he I'm not trying to like be a psychoanalyst here, but I feel like he might have some sort of self-esteem issues or something like that, because he's always trying to like Impress or like sound like be or like always trying to like you know look look like make sure like you know, and it's like come on, A Rod. As I was saying before, like you know you're a Hall of Fame baseball player. You're, you know every like you don't have to like go out of the way to try to like to show off, not show off, but like you know everybody knows who you are. He doesn't seem very confident in himself, and maybe that made him a great player. I don't know because he was able to, you know, always have to produce and try to impress. But uh you know it's just like I just feel like you're not getting the whole, like my favorite A-Rod theory, I think is like the difference between an odd and an even, even lead and like a ball game. It's like, we're like, I, I can I can understand that as like some sort of superstition on the bench, you know, or some guys thinking that, but like, when you're talking about like in every broadcast, you're like, well, they they have an even lead here. or They have an odd lead here. And this means it's like, well, what, what are you talking about? Like five versus three versus seven versus four. I don't know. It's just like a whole.
0: Whole mess of a broadcast, Jeremy. You 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 said it best. He sounds half the time like he's trying to write the great American novel with every bit of analysis he provides. We remember the the Bodie walk off grand slam some years ago. As he was talking over the the highlight of that, he, he calls it a great swing, a magical swing, and a night David Bodie will never forget. He just sounds like he's trying to write a book about baseball. Every time he talks, he's not so much analyzing what's going on in front of him as he's trying to, to talk over what's going on in front of him. And Ronan, you made this point that they seem to have no interest in calling the game that's on the field. And they seem to far prefer kind of doing this podcast over the broadcast. And I've mentioned this previously. I don't think there's no market for that. I think if you did a version of the broadcast like that for maybe the casual fan who doesn't necessarily follow what's going on around the league, I think there might be some utility in that as your second broadcast. And I believe just tonight, they had some of the smarter and more statistically inclined broadcasters doing a secondary data-based broadcast. I don't think you need to go to that extreme, but I think if you want to make it this around baseball podcast that plays over a broadcast, I think you need to make that your secondary. I think you need to tailor your broadcast a little more towards what's actually going on on the field. So and as you said that the 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 mystique, the, the need for national broadcasts has d- decreased dramatically. The the game of the week used to be the huge thing. Uh, NBC during the day on the weekends, the NBC game of the week was the biggest show in town, but now you can if even with the archaic blackout rules, you can pay money, you can watch any game from just about wherever. I would say national broadcasts themselves are becoming antiquated. Uh, because you can do that. And Ronan, I think you made an excellent point. I think we could see a drastic shift in what what becomes of these national broadcasts in the years going forward. And honestly, I hope so. I, I just have so little use for Sunday night baseball at this point. I mean, newspapers, are they still important? Sure. Are they important as they were 50 years ago? Absolutely not.
2: In no way, shape or form. They're not as influential. They're not as uh, important. Um, things have changed. And the way that people access games, has changed since 1990. Cable TV, people are cutting cable now, people stream. That's why the blackout rules need to change. Major League Baseball needs to meet fans where they're at. Um, And it's okay. It's okay that Sunday Night Baseball had a run in the 90s and the 2000s, that was kind of a big deal. It doesn't mean it needs to be that way forever. And I think ESPN could get a lot more creative in the way they tell the story of baseball than forcing this game that they don't even seem all that interested in really broadcasting outside of tradition right? Sunday night, they get that time slot. I don't know that they love it because it is, as you said, Randall, a podcast with baseball going on in the background. But to their credit, ESPN has historically done a very good job visually with these broadcasts, good camera angles, creative shots. I think they do a fantastic job showing Wrigley Field, particularly, particularly during Sunday night games. It's just everything else is annoying. It kind of
0: takes away from the experience world-class resources world-class access one of the biggest broadcasting names in the sports broadcasting business and they wasted on alex rodriguez talking about matt carpenter's salsa would you eat would you eat uh, matt carpenter's salsa no because i imagine it's just mayonnaise mixed with ketchup i imagine that's what gave jeremy the uh, baja blast earlier in the week
1: well i just want to go back a little bit you know ronan there is still a uh, 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 people with the newspaper there's still a little bit of a demand for somebody who doesn't quite want to watch the game but you know find out what happened in the game they say oh look it was a three nothing loss or something so like you know th- it's a time saver sometimes they just check a box score
2: i feel nostalgic about print media as well like i love picking up a newspaper and flipping through it it's just man, there's nothing in newspapers anymore either. Like they're printed at five o'clock in the afternoon the day before. There's no actual content. And, you know, half of the Chicago Tribune right now is AP stories. It's ridiculous. It's sad, but you know what? Things have changed. It's not 1970 anymore. And newspapers, they, you know, that's a whole different discussion. The newspaper industry could have done a lot to benefit themselves in the last 30 years that they fought thinking that they would win out over digital. And that didn't happen. They didn't adapt and they're paying for it. And, that that is what it is but um I, I it's just like major league baseball has to adapt as the way people access sports change and that's why these blackout rules need to go because i even get annoyed here i watch everybody yeah blackout rules one they need to yeah uh, it's it's more than time and it's something that i was hoping covid it's something that should have been uh, cleared up i think in the last year i know there's there was legal a, issues there involved. Was
1: a, there was a story this week a recent i don't know if you're we're referring to there's a recent story this week about Major League Baseball telling RSNs that they want RSNs to deal directly to, con- to customers uh, and not having to use, let's say, a cable company as a middleman where you have to authenticate your, you know, yourself. Like if mm-hmm. I can log on to, let's say, uh, X, um, CSN Chicago, Comcast Sports, Network, or NBC Chicago as it is now, and I could watch a White Sox game, but I have to put in my Xfinity account. And Major League Baseball is telling RSNs, we we want to get rid of that. We want anybody who wants can in the market, in market, can go on online onto your RSN and watch a game. I mean, they'll probably have to pay for it, maybe directly pay for it, but not cut off the minimum of having to have a uh, authenticated uh cable login. Well, they and should have done it last, last year. Week. No, I was saying I mean it, I'm just know. saying that that came out within this I didn't know if that was what you were referring to. I thought maybe that you were talking about that, but that's a story that's been out with last week where major league baseball is trying to put that pressure on uh, regional sports networks.
0: Well, Ronan, as a a new dog owner, maybe you'll find new uses for newspaper uh, in the near future. So one last topic before we bring it home tonight, Madison Bumgardner of the Arizona Diamondbacks, he pitched in the second leg of today's doubleheader against the Atlanta Braves, and he pitched a seven inning, no hitter. He'll have no hits in a regulation seven inning ball game as agreed to by the players association and the league. Do we, among this podcast here, do we believe that counts as a no hitter? And I know that I'm very firmly in the no camp. So what do we think?
2: Uh, Major League Baseball got it right. It is not an official no hitter. It counts as a shutout. Counts as a complete game, I believe, Um, but not a no hitter. I think you got to go nine and I'm glad Major League Baseball has that distinction. Uh, I went to a seven-inning doubleheader for the first time in my life last week here at Coors Field. It was interesting. It moved a little bit quicker, but it's not the same as a nine-inning game, so for me, not good enough.
1: It shouldn't count as a no-hitter. Wow, I'm a little surprised. It's so, so harsh against the uh, no-hitter. Um... I, it's a little odd to me, I think, to just say it should count as a shutout, it should count as a complete game, but not count as a no-hitter. I mean, the one hitter in the in the game before counts as a one-hitter. Uh, I think I gotta go with a no-hitter. It's seven innings. You got you, it's a full game, no-hit baseball. I think it's a no-hitter. I mean, we're Major League Baseball changed, or whoever was responsible changed the rules a few years ago and they eliminated a whole bunch of no-hitters. And I think one. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like some of those guys, like, come on, you you pitch a complete game, you throw, I mean, where are you on that? You think an eight game, an uh, eight inning, uh, no hit ball, it's a complete game. And that doesn't count as a no hitter. Like, I don't know. Is I, Are you on that?
2: I think the reason for it is that you celebrate no hitters or perfect games differently than shutouts. Like a shutout in Major League Baseball is a big deal, but you don't go live to a game in the ninth inning because it's a shutout. There's a reason you go live to a game in the ninth inning if it's a no hitter. I think that's the difference. It is it is more significant to did, prevent the they go the live in
1: the seventh inning today? I, I wasn't really around to watch it. I, well, I, I'm not sure. I'm just saying, like,
2: like, that's the difference between it being a no-hitter and just a shutout. Like, there is more weight to a no-hitter, and I think that it's okay for you to, um, you know, make something like that nine innings because – the difference between a nine inning no hitter and a seven inning no hitter, you're talking almost a quarter of a game here in terms of outs. It's
1: significant in it's terms of less performance. Yeah, one full game is one full game. That's true, but I, I, mean, I does a does a, a game that had been uh, rain. Let's say it rained. Uh, no, I mean I know it doesn't count. But how do you feel about a game that uh, six inning game? You know, gets rained out. That's not. But where were you on the eight inning games that Major League Baseball took away? No, I think you
2: should go nine. So I
1: think, think it think should be nine.
2: Too. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I'm, as I said, I'm very firmly in the camp of this is not a no hitter. I've heard the arguments for it, that this is an agreed upon seven inning game. It's not a rain out or, or a, anything like that. It is a, you know, a complete game as agreed upon. But did, no, you need to go nine innings. You need to go nine no hit innings. I thought it had been established when they instituted the seven inning games that they would not recognize seven yeah. no-hitters. So I'm unclear as to why the topic comes up again. But, you know, rainouts that end a game after seven innings, fine calling it a complete game. It is a complete game. If you want to put something on Madison Bumgarner's long list of career accomplishments, saying he pitched seven no-hit innings in the back end of a doubleheader and say he did that and let people call it what they want, that's fine. But to me, this does not go on MLB's list of no-hitters. It, it does not.
1: I, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with you guys. I think a a complete game, a full game, a full a game is a game. You you have seven innings, you pitch a no-hit baseball, that's a no-hitter. Uh, you know, I mean if you were to pitch, you know, 10 innings and you give uh, you pitch nine innings and you give up a hit in the tenth, that's not a no-hitter. It's not a no-hitter. I think a full game is a full game. So I, I gotta give it to Madison. I think he, he couldn't done he couldn't have done anything more. He pitched as many innings as he was. Could have pitched. Uh, I mean, I get and he gave up no hits. So I, to me, I gave him full credit.
0: He he did do that and credit to him for that. But what if it had been a, a regulation nine-inning game? It's two more innings where they could have gotten a hit off of him.
1: So and they you know, would have, if they got a hit off him, then it would have been a no-hitter. But you know, our, there wasn't, our good friend wasn't a regulation a good, nine inning game, it was a seven-inning game. That's what it was. Our good seven friend innings. Ray
0: Blunts, uh, I believe voiced his opinion that we needed more controversy on the show. So here you go, Ray. Some controversy for you. Some disagreement over the good old seven inning no hitter.
2: I want him to come on, Mr. Ray, so he and I I can really disagree. I mean, really, really get into it about anything. And I don't care what he says, just for the sake of argument, I'm gonna take the opposite side and and fight him, beat him with that, beat him over the head with it.
1: Well, I was trying to do a little reference to Ray. I thought maybe him, he would appreciate the NBC sports login of the Xfinity account you know, to try to get. I thought maybe that's how Ray's been watching his White Sox games.
2: He, I think he's been watching his White Sox games um, by turning on the postgame show and seeing what Ozzie has to say about what happened well, Gordon over Beckham the previous was on three
1: hours. It was on A few weeks ago, I thought that was a little odd, Uh Gordon Beckham. But hey, I mean, if you have Ryan Sweeney on your broadcast, it's hard to talk about. I mean, Ryan Sweeney could do both for all, uh but talk about Gordon Beckham.
0: Well, uh, hopefully we can get our good friend Ray on here in the next couple of weeks and we can really get into some really meaty disagreements about uh, whatever we come up with. For tonight, though, we're going to bring it home. Uh, another great edition of Behind the Yellow Line discussing the current state of the Cubs going around baseball into the broadcast booths a little bit. We hope to be with you again soon. I am Randall Sanders, joined by Jeremy Specter and Ronan O'Shea. We'll be back with you again soon. Thanks for listening.